Let's pray and open up our hearts one more time and say, God, I open my heart to hear what you have to say to me tonight. Speak to me through the ministry of the Word of God. In Jesus' name. One more time, everybody said amen. Well, I trust you've turned to the book of Ephesians, uh, and uh, we're going to jump right in. I want to give you a little historical setting just so you'll understand a little bit about this book. And, of course, the author is Paul the Apostle. I wouldn't have titled it Working It Out with the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians if he was not the, the author. Uh, and, in fact, Paul the Apostle established this church uh, in, the, in his third missionary journey. He's, he had three, uh, the first, second, and on the third one, he established this church in Ephesus which was a strong economic base in, that, in the world in that day. They were in a, I think there was even a river there running through it, a river running through it. And uh, there was a lot of economic prosperity, but there was also a lot of idol worship and a lot of false gods. There was a lot of uh, anti-God spirit in that city. And Paul the Apostle comes in. In fact, just, just for the sake of, of, of connecting the two, Go to the book of Acts, even before we begin to read any from the book of Ephesians. Look in the book of Acts, in Acts 18 and 19, and let me just introduce to you uh, Paul the Apostle there in Ephesus and how things began to change uh, in that city because of, because of the ministry of Paul the Apostle. Acts chapter 18, oh gosh, there's a lot. I could, where could I jump down into? Oh, he comes in, what verse... Verse 19, there it is. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. But then we get over to chapter 19 uh, and we see him returning to Ephesus and there was actually a riot in town. How many of you know that'll, that'll get a, a stir because of, uh, because of uh, uh, some demonic uh, oppression that was, was uh, on, uh, on him and he, he brought deliverance and just a lot of great things. And the church was born, okay? Uh, and so it quickly grew. And Paul the Apostle, when he was in Rome in prison, about 60 to 61 A.D., after the death of Christ, he wrote the book of Ephesians. Now, if you remember, James was written in the 50s somewhere, probably the first uh, uh, scripture uh, that was uh, written down, uh, inspired by the Word of God, and, and I don't know what was second, but Ephesians comes along in about 60 to 61 A.D., Paul's in prison, and he writes this book to this church. Now, there's some things that some would, uh, would, would say uh, that maybe he wasn't really writing to the church in Ephesus and that that was added later, and it's really a treatise to all the churches, uh, and it was scattered throughout all the churches. That may or may not be so. It's certainly a valid treatise, if you will, or, or directive for all of us. Uh, but it was, I believe, written primarily to the church in Ephesus, and they, they responded well to it. So, that's kind of the historical setting. So while he's in prison, he's writing to these believers and his purpose, his reasoning behind his letter. You know, Paul just didn't write letters just, to, just for the sake of, of you know, chit-chatting. There was no, he wasn't texting and emailing and just chit-chat and Facebook. And he had something to say. 
And the letter's purpose fits perfectly within our theme. Because really, it's to strengthen the believers and encourage the believers in the church family to, to provide spiritual strength and, and, if you will, even emotional strength and mental strength to be able to stand strong. In fact, our keynote verse this summer is Ephesians 6.10 that says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, look at this, and we're going to look at some other verses, but look at that one verse. If you want to slip over to it uh, in Ephesians 6.10, that's our keynote verse for this summer. Look at the strength of this verse. And look, he uses a lot of descriptive words to define and, and, and reiterate and, and underscore the power and the authority of God's strength in our life. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. In the Lord. Everybody say, in the Lord. That's going to be key for tonight. And then here's two more words that are descriptive words of the strength and power of God. And in the power of His might. So in, in one statement, He has three big big bodacious uh, words that describe the strength and capacity of God in and through the believer's life. So that's the purpose of the book and, and purpose of the letter. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just show you this uh, in Ephesians 1, 19. Now, we're going to back up in a minute and kind of walk through the most of the first chapter of Ephesians uh, just to kind of give you some insight. But I want to establish this theme. I want to establish this purpose. Look in verse 19. Now, what Paul's doing to the church here, for the church, after he shares with them the multifaceted spiritual blessings that are available to them as believers, he then begins to pray for them. I heard something. Did y'all hear that? I saw people looking. I think everything's all right. He begins to pray for them. And I want you to see his prayer. And look in verse 15, and then we'll get down to 19. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here he begins to pray that the God of, all, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now these verses are hugely important, okay? They'll fit, you'll, you'll see how they fit a little better in just a moment. He's praying for wisdom and revelation. He goes on that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now look in verse 19 because we're establishing his purpose. Look what he prays. And, and he said, and that you may know what is the exceeding greatness. There's two big words. Uh, uh, in fact, greatness is, is the Greek word is megathos. How many of you know mega? Mega, you get the, the you understand mega. You know, there are mega fries, mega, you know, all that. You understand big, large. And, and, and Paul uses that word that he says that you may know and understand and, 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 and have access to the exceeding greatness of his power. Everybody say power. That's the Greek word dunamis. Anybody know where, what uh, uh, English word comes from the word dunamis? Dynamite. Everybody say dynamite. Most of you don't remember that series. The, who was it? Dynamite. Good times. <laughs> dynamite. Thank you. And so, so he, he's just using all these words. Multi, he's got a multifaceted vocabulary trying to describe all the, the facets, if you will, 
of this strength and this power and this authority that is available to the church of God. He says this, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to, here's three more words, the working. Everybody say the working. The working is, is the Greek is energia. Where does that, what word do we have? Energy. Man, he's, you've got energy available to you by the power of Almighty God that you may, may uh, according to the working of his mighty power. Mighty. The Greek is kratos or kratos. And it has the idea of strength. And when you see that, the, the, I think it's K-R-A-T-O-S, the Greek, it means just some good old, you know, it's not just physical strength, but just all over strength. And then power here is not dunamis, uh, it's, it, it, it infers forcefulness. So what do we see with Paul the Apostle? And there's other passages, uh, but just these few verses, uh, what do we see? He's using, he's using, he's trying every way he can to describe for us the strength of God that is available to us as a believer, okay? And it's an interesting thing that most Christians are spiritually weak. Uh, could I, I'm not saying get an amen, but how many of you know we struggle with weakness here? There's a lot of weakness in the body of Christ. And so Paul's addressing that. Look in Ephesians 3. Uh, here he starts praying for us again, verse 14 through 16, <coughs> praying for the church. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory. Catch this. To be strengthened with might. There's two big words. Through his spirit in the inner man. In fact, that word strengthened is a form of that, that uh, K-R-A-T-O-S word, which means uh, uh, just strong, being strong and strengthened. And the might here is the, is a reference to the dunamis. So he, you know, the translators, uh, uh, put different words in there, but he's talking about supernatural power. He's praying that we would be strengthened with his might, supernatural power through his spirit in the inner man. He wants us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then you get back to Ephesians chapter six. Verse 10, and he says, finally, my brethren. How many of you know when you say, finally, my brethren, I'm getting down to the last things, and I'm going to make some very important points. And, and what was it? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so what we want to embrace, not only tonight, but and, and throughout this summer, is the strength of God. I want you to devour the book of Ephesians with me. And let this word begin to strengthen you. Let the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit begin to strengthen you. Agree with this prayer that, that, that uh, if you went back over, here's, here's the prerequisite to being able to pray this prayer over your life. Verse 15 Paul said, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he began to pray for us. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus and you love others, hey, I think you and I ought to be recipients and beneficiaries to be able to agree with this kind of praying that Paul prayed. And we can pray these same, same things over our life. I would love for God to grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And so everybody said, amen. Now, look in verse 20 of chapter 3, just to give you a little hope here. He, he, he again 
uh, references the capacity of God uh, in our behalf. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to, catch this, the power that works in us. Now, you look at that verse right there, and how many of you kind of can read into it enough to know that, hey, God has all this ability. He's exceedingly abundantly above. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. How many of you can ask some big things from God? How many of you can think some big things from God? Okay, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, but there's a hitch. There's a catch to God's ability and capacity to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. It's according to, or we may could say, in harmony with the power and the strength that is working within us. I forgot to look up that word power. Uh, I'm, that's interesting to me. I don't have my Greek here in front of me. But, uh, hey, if it's dunamis, it's pretty awesome. If it's strength and might, it's pretty awesome. It's got to be working through us. So we've got to have, like we learned in James, you've got to have a faith that works. Here we've got to have a, a strength and a power that works in us in order to release the capacity of God to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think in our life. So we've got to engage the Word of God, engage the power of the Spirit of God in our life, and, and come in harmony and in concert with God's ability by allowing His strength to be made manifest in our life this summer. Amen? Everybody do this right here. Come on now. Working it out, working it out. Hey, no, no, no wimps in God's kingdom on Wednesday night. Amen. No, no, no whiny rhinies. That's what I call them, whiny rhinies. No whiny rhinies. Man, we're going to get strong in the Lord. We're going to be steadfast. And as we get further into this book, we'll be able to, uh, to, hey, look our enemies in the face. Look our foes in the face and stand. Everybody say, stand therefore. Man, he's saying, get all this strength and you take your stand and, and, and you be like Popeye. Anybody remember what Popeye said? I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. I'm taking my stand. Amen. Whatever. All right. So, uh, hey, that's the theme of the book. All right. And I want you to begin to embrace it. And I want you to begin to, to apply it. And in fact, you know, I, I, I sent a little text out to our, uh, our, our uh, fitness team and our fitness trainers, uh, primarily the ones that will be teaching uh, uh, Sunday morning in our, in our uh, workout sessions. And I encourage everybody to be in a workout session, uh, you know, whether it's marriage on the rock, uh, that starts Saturday. And let me just say, everyone who can who is a married couple, and even if you're not, I guess if you want to know how to build your marriage, a future marriage on the rock, you should go. Go be a part of that. It starts Saturday morning at nine. You'll go to, through two sessions, and then uh, and then Sunday morning at nine. So so you'll by by the end of Sunday you'll have gone through three sessions. I got a lot un, uh, under your belt because there's ten sessions. That's marriage on the rock, and then Christian and and uh, Michelle said this about Christian. She quoted uh, one of the lines: "You can ask a hundred different people what they think, what what their definition of a Christian, and you'll able to get a hundred different answers." And it's been watered down, by the way. I want to tell you, uh, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christian that, that not going to heaven. 
And, and let me tell you something. If you're a, Christian, a genuine Christian, you're going to go to heaven. People think they're born again. In fact, Jesus said there are people who say to me on that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and your name done many mighty miracles and your name cast out demons? Uh, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, it doesn't say that they did those things. And they went to hell. It says they said they did those things. Haven't you ever heard anybody puffing their resume a little bit when it comes down to people try to get before God? They're going to try to weasel their way into eternity. not going to happen. In other words, there's a lot of people who will confess to be Christian who are not Christian. So important. And then also, if you haven't been through... Uh, uh, the, our Connect course, Kobe Foreman be teaching that. I encourage everybody who has not gone through those four sessions. There's actually uh, four topics, eight sessions, and that begins as well. So, so uh, hey, go through that first if you haven't been through there. I told them all this in a little text. I said, let's do this every, every day at noon. Let's stop, drop, and pray. Everybody say, stop, drop, and pray. I, I would encourage you to join with me this summer. Uh, in fact, we're going to do some other things to kind of engage ourselves at the place of prayer. But hey, if you got a, a, a phone that's smarter than you, uh, put it, at, you know, let the alarm go off every day at noon and you just stop, drop and pray. Just Lord, I'm praying today that you would strengthen me in my spirit, in the inner man, that your presence would come upon me. You'd strengthen our church family and the strength of God would begin to uh, be made manifest in our church and in our families and our teenagers and our children. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let's, let's stop, drop, and pray, and let's engage God, and let's let the purpose of this study be made manifest. Listen, there's no value if it just gets here. If it gets here and you know all the facts and figures about the book of Ephesians and it doesn't drop down here and you begin to experience some real spiritual strength and stamina and power and authority in your life, we've missed the boat altogether. Amen. So I'm looking forward to our celebration. In fact, the last Sunday of July is going to be a celebration of what God has done in our life and how he's spoken to us. Testimony time. Uh, time to share memory verses. In fact, you're going to learn eight memory verses beginning Sunday morning. Uh, I've given you a head start on the first one, Ephesians 6.10. If you don't already have that memorized, we're going to take away your uh, grace card or something. Come on. But finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, and so uh, just a lot of great things to strengthen us. So with that in mind, let's, let's build a little more on this book of Ephesians. And, and let me give you a little more of an, of a, an, an overshot or an overview uh, to kind of lay some more foundation. The letter is divided into two huge parts, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 3 through 6. And there's a lot of ways you can explain this. I've, I've developed a little thought pattern for me personally uh, in these last few weeks as I've been looking at it. And here it is. And in fact, let me just read, let me read Ephesians 1, uh, uh, the first few verses uh, to kind of kind of introduce these, this first part. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, if you, if you want to do something cool, get a highlighter, a pencil, or a pen. And everywhere in the book of Ephesians where you see something like in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in Him, you circle that, you're going to be amazed. It's an important element of what we're going to be talking about uh, in the book of Ephesians. To the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, catch this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has blessed us. Everybody say, he has blessed us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, there it is again, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, he begins down through about verse 14 uh, to enumerate uh, many facets of these spiritual blessings. And he begins to talk about the blessings of God. And then, as we looked at briefly in, in verse 15, down really through the end of the chapter, he begins to pray for us that we would have insight and revelation into the blessings we have as believers. How many of you, let me just, I heard this, I'll tell it quickly. Uh, you know, years ago when the ship started traveling the oceans to foreign lands and, and uh, you know, you had to buy a ticket and you, 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 you get in the, the big ship and, uh, and you travel for two or three weeks across the, the oceans and make it to the good old U.S. of A. or whatever. Uh, there was a young guy who wanted, uh, you know, to experience the world. He didn't have any money. He worked real hard and he, and he bought just, an, he had just enough money to buy the ticket, but he didn't have anything for food or, or, or and so... So every day when it became mealtime, he would slip down into the bowels of the ship and eat his little crackers and cheese. And, and he did that for like, you know, you know halfway through the trip. And, and uh, he was embarrassed about the fact that he couldn't eat with everybody else. And finally, one day he was down there eating and one of the workers on the ship saw him. He said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm, I'm just eating. He said, man, the dining hall's up. Yeah. He said, oh, I know. And he's trying he said, well, man, they're, they're, they're having prime rib up there. You need to get up there. And, and he said, well, no, no, I didn't have enough money for the, for the food. I just had enough money for the ticket. And the guy said, sir, you don't understand. It's all inclusive. When you bought a ticket, you got all the meals are included. How many of you know Christians live that way? We think, well, I got, I'm going to get to heaven by the hair of my chinny chin chin, and I just barely make it, and oh, I'm just weak, and I'm pathetic, but hopefully I'll make it to heaven. Hey, you need to understand. Paul comes along, and he says, you got to understand, when you were born again, he's blessed you with all these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In fact, he says, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, keynote phrase in Christ. And so... What we're going to begin to learn is, is who we are in Christ. In fact, the first three chapters, if chapters one through three, are really words and instruction and revelation and insight. Everyone say insight. It's words of insight. It's like opening up to us who we really are and what we really have and what we, what we have, are beneficiaries of because of the, of the, the, the power and the presence of Christ in us. And so realizing all that we have and who we are in Christ, it answers the question uh, and really reveals our real identity in Christ. So the first half of this book, he just unloads. He, he, he downloads, if you will, revelation and insight for us about who we are in Christ. And the benefits we have and all that we have when we bought the ticket or really when Jesus bought the ticket and he paid for us with his own blood and he bought us what all the benefits thereof. So that's the first three chapters. Okay. 
Now, when you get to chapters four, five, and six, they're not words of, they are, they're insight, but they're, they're more words of implementation. In other words, catch this, chapter one, two, three, here's who you are in Christ. Here's the multifaceted blessing of God available to you as a believer. And I'm praying over you that you will, you would see it and receive it and, 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 and apprehend it and realize who you are and where you're seated and all these great things that you have available to you as a believer. And then he comes along in chapter four, five, and six and he says, okay, now let me show you how you got to work this out. Everybody say, work it out. Work it out. And he began to, this is how you implement and walk in. In fact, you're going to hear this in the next few months. There's at least five places, I believe, uh, in, in Ephesians where he talks about walk. He said, you used to walk like this with the Gentiles. You used to walk, you used to have a, a, a Gentile swagger that was unhealthy and unholy and an unrighteous swagger. But now you're walking in love. You're walking in the light. You're walking, uh, you know, this way, that way. And so it's working it out and walking it out and, and applying the, and, and appropriating the provision of God in our behalf. You got it? Now, this answers the question of what we do as a result of who we are. Now, once we realize our new identity, everybody say in Christ, it changes what we do. Once you understand your identity, it'll change what you do. Let me give you an example. Let me show you this illustration right here. The first verse of Ephesians. What's the first verse say? Uh, uh, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to, to who? To the saints who are in Ephesus and, and faithful, where? In Christ. So these saints are in Christ. Now, what's a saint? A saint is a holy one, a consecrated one, a sacred, a pure one. So he begins this letter and he, he says, your identity in Christ, man, you're holy and righteous. This is who you are in Christ. And how many of you know, sometimes who, who Jesus says we are doesn't line up with what we do. So he, he starts off the whole letter. He says, you're saints, you're consecrated, you're holy ones, you're sacred, you're pure. Now, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Now, he said they were saints, but look what he said. Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Everybody say, walk worthy. Do you, see the, do you see that illustration working out right there? Hey, you're a saint, but guess what? You gotta walk like one. You gotta implement who you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you're a saint. And man, if you're in Christ and you're a saint, you gotta start walking. You start, you've gotta implement this revelation. You get the insight and then you walk. The reason a lot of people struggle. Now let me just, hello here. Let's talk. The reason a lot of people struggle with the implementation of a worthy walk is because they don't understand who they are and what they have available to them as a believer in Christ. Have you ever tried to do a job with, with, with uh, uh, inferior tools? I, I, man, I'm telling you. You know, a hammer is not necessarily an inferior tool until you've found a nail gun. Am I right? And then the hammer, it's basically something you hit people with or something. I mean, nail, oh, hallelujah. 
You know, I built my old dock on my lake years ago with a hammer and nails, and and it took me a long time, and and uh, and I've got to do some work on it now. And there's no I'm, hey, I'm either going screw gun or nail gun, you, and. When you try to do a job with inferior tools, and you know what a lot of Christians are doing? Trying to live the Christian life under the inferiority of self uh, uh, capacity and our own strength and in our own mindset. You can't do it. It's inferior. Paul's coming along and he's saying, hey, everybody, listen, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at some of those in a moment. And and so therefore, because of who you are in Christ and what you have as a believer, now you've got to work it out. You've got to implement it in your life. Amen. How many of you know, just from the standpoint of God wants to, you know, he says he wants to bless us, but how many of you know you got to implement the blessings of God? You can't be a taker all your life and be blessed, right? You got to appropriate the word of God. So there's the two sides. There's the, there's the, 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 the two huge parts that I want you to see. Hey, revelation and insight, and then an implementation of revelation. When God speaks something to us, he always requires the implementing of his word and plan in our life. So with that in mind, let's look at our identity in him. I'm just going to go through this. Now, let me affirm to you, and I know I've said this 101 times, but the biggest little word in the New Testament is the letter, the two letters, I-N. Everybody say, I-N. Now, if you go... If you come for this to this church all your life, as long as Pastor Sam can talk, and one day I slip from this life and into the other life, into my eternal reward, and if all you remember is that little word, you remembered a lot. Because it means in a fixed position. Everybody say fixed position. And OMG, if we're not fixed, we'll never get fixed. If we don't get fixed in him. And so here comes Paul to the Ephesians. What does he say in verse 1? To all the saints who are, uh, who are faithful. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm faithfully fixed. Positionally fixed in him. Everyone say in him. And so I want to encourage you these next two months. I want you to go through your, your, hey, you know it's okay to scribble in your Bible. You scribble in your Bible till it's all messed up, and then you go get you a new one because you don't want to rely upon yesterday's scribbles. Uh, you need new scribbles every year. Uh, and I'm about, my Bible's falling, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm not practicing what I preach because my Bible's falling apart. You know how you get used to things and you... In fact, I thought, I bet I could super glue that back right there and it would be all right. I need a new one. I need to go get a new one and start over. In fact, my wife said, you spilled something. Your pages are all yellow. Uh, I want you to take this Bible. I want you to take this book of Ephesians. And and then it'll begin to jump off at you. When you begin to focus on that phrase, in Christ, in him, it'll just begin to explode. And then you begin to throw in this, this mindset, hey, in Christ. You know, we read that first verse just so flippantly, you know, to the the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. All oh, that's just so sweet. And we go along. Hey, no, those who are faithfully in a fixed position 
in their new identity in him. Okay? So with that in mind, let me give you this statement that I think is a, is a huge one uh, for you. I would write it down or take a picture of it, tweet it if you want. I didn't, but you can. Our fixed eternal position affects our faulty temporal condition. Our fixed, everyone say it out loud here with me. Say it out loud, really loud, everybody. Here we go. Our fixed eternal position affects our faulty temporal condition. Now, let me throw that backwards. Your temporal condition should not affect your fixed eternal position. How many of you know our condition? You know, who was it said that I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in? Who was it? Come on. Kenny Rogers? See, you know them all. You know all the old names. I, don't, I can't remember them. Who was it? Was it Kenny Rogers? I just, I'll Google it. I don't, we'll do it later. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Well, in other words, he, he's really disconnected from, he's probably been smoking a little wacky tobacco or something. But, but hey, catch this. Our condition should never affect our position. But because once you get firmly fixed in Christ, it doesn't matter what you go through, you're still fixed. But if you don't get fixed, when the conditions aren't right, then you're off, you're, you're off in, you know, up and down, left and right, and, and faulty. And so catch this, when you can get fixed, when you get an eternal position of being in Him, and we're gonna, we're gonna show you this, that, that fixed eternal position. In fact, here, let me just throw it at you. We'll read it again. It says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your position. How many of you have a position in the job wherever you work? You might have a position. Position, you know, this is my position. There's this position. Anybody got a position above your position? Yeah. Are you the top position? Are there other, is anybody under your position? Not many, but I got, you know, but I got to, you know, and so it's the pecking order. Uh, Hey, let me tell you something. The new pecking order for the believer is I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, you ask some people, how are you doing? Oh, not very good under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? Because my Bible says I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's my position and my eternal fixed position will always impact our faulty temporal condition. And then when we learn that, we can begin to change some of our faulty temporal condition. Let me show you this principle at play in in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show you this principle right here. Uh, And and here it is, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. What was their former faulty temporal condition? They were dead in their trespasses and sins, okay? In which you once walked according to the course of this world. In other words, something has changed our faulty temporal condition. Conditions have changed. 
This used to be our condition. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, shoo-wee, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Mercy, we were, our condition was terrible. Our faulty condition was bad. Verse 4 says, but God. Somebody say, but God. Somebody said one time, <laughs> I don't know. Preacher, you, they'll say anything once. They preached a message on God has a big butt. That, that doesn't work here, but, but God. That's, that was his point, but I never got past the title. Uh, it, just, it just gave me the wrong picture. Uh, here we are in our faulty condition. He said, this is the way you used to be. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Somebody say, in Christ. In other words, hey, look what happened. We got in Christ. And it changed our faulty, stinky, unhealthy, unholy condition. Amen. And if there's any of that in our life, we need to get firmly fixed in Christ and it will begin to change. Our fixed, let's read it together one more time, everybody out loud. Our fixed eternal position affects our faulty temporal condition. You need, to, you, need to, you need to chew that up, spit that out. And every time you face some faulty temporal conditions, whether they be self-inflicted or just the circumstances of life, you say, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's where I'm at. I'm not down in the basement digging holes. I'm not under the circumstances. I'm not, I'm not uh, down and out. I'm up and in. I, I, I'm a king's kid. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. So, hallelujah. Let me just throw out. A, oh, man, I've got to jump. We're going to shoot through this quick. In him, I'm going to show you our new identity. Here we go. In him. Everyone say in him. That's our eternal fixed position, right? You get it? In him. Everybody say in him. Here we go. I'm going to give you 12 of them. And you'll probably hear facets of this for the next two months. In him, we are saints. Verse 1. In him, we are blessed. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I think the Greek there is very happy. Did you know people are very happy when they understand who they are in Christ? Ha, 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 ha. You ever met anybody that call himself a Christian and look like they've been baptized in what? Pickle juice. And they're, they're supposed to be a Christian. You think, man, if that's what Christianity is, give me something else. Because that, hey, when you tap into who you are in Christ, you are blessed, very happy with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It, is sh it shows on your countenance. Amen. We are saints. We are blessed. Here we are. We are chosen. Verse 4 says, uh, just as he chose us, how did he choose us? Come on, look at the verse. As he chose us in him. Somebody say in him. See there, he chose us to be in Christ, in him. He chose us in him 
uh, uh, what does it say? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Catch this, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus. The word predestined doesn't mean you don't have a choice. It means he has a predetermined destiny for your life. Doesn't guarantee your safe arrival, but God has a plan for your life and he's predetermined it for you. He's chosen you before the foundation of the world and he's, he's blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And because you're his child, you need to know you've been adopted into the family of God. You didn't, hey, you were born into it. Uh, you got born again, of course, but he adopted you. He looked out and chose you and said, hey, I've chose you to be in me. That's the will and the plan of God for our life. Ooh, somebody say amen. And then he says, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he has made us accepted in the beloved. There's another one, number four. We are accepted. He accepts us. You don't have to earn the good pleasure of God uh, because, hey, as his child, you have been accepted. Amen. Verse 7 says this, in him, there we go again. Man, if you're circling that, you just circled your whole first seven chapters all up. In him we have what? Redemption. We've been redeemed because we are in him. We've been redeemed. He paid for us with his own blood. And then he says he, redemption through his blood. The for what? The for what? The forgiveness of sins. So in him, we are saints. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are accepted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. Who? Man, somebody say amen. What a blessing. And once you begin to embrace these things, it changes your faulty temporal condition. I am a saint. I am blessed, very happy with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I've been chosen before the foundation of the world in him, uh, adopted into the family. I've been accepted into the beloved. Wow. Remember when you were a kid, there were cliques. Some people didn't let you in their clique. They let you in their group. Man, wasn't that heartbreaking? Or what? Hey, God says that's not the heart of God. There's, you don't have to come up. I'm going to come down and bring you up. Isn't that cool? We, we, it's not us trying to get to God. It's God. Hey, God already got to us. He took us, his hand's not short that it cannot save, his ears not heavy that it cannot hear. And he lifted us up and seated us with Christ in heavenly places in Christ. We're saints, we're blessed, we're chosen, we're accepted in him, our eternal fixed position. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, and here's number seven, we are rich. Everybody say, I'm rich. Look at what he says, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. His unmerited favor, the riches of his unmerited favor. Look what he goes on to say, which he made to abound. Somebody say abound. He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence and understanding is that verse. Man, he about, you get what he's saying? He said, man, the grace of God. Come on, kids. The unmerited favor of God. You are absolutely I want to say filthy rich, but that's kind of a, is that an oxymoron? That doesn't sound right because grace is not filthy. You are absolutely, uh, uh, overwhelmingly, 
exceedingly abundantly rich and God has made it abound to you. And how did he do that? He made it abound to us in our wisdom and understanding. In other words, hey, the more wisdom and understanding you get, the more abounding this thing, this, this riches of his grace comes into play. And when we, hey, when we do blow it and we go, oh man, you know, it's not greasy grace. If we, if we, if we sin, we have to confess our sin. Okay. It's not, uh, do whatever you want and just say first John 1 9 because, hey, we got the grace of God. Uh, you know, that's not it. What did Paul say in Romans? God forbid. Everybody say, God forbid. We don't trample on the grace of God. We appropriate the grace of God that we are, that we are rich. Everybody say, I'm rich. And then number eight, as saints in him, we are sealed. Verse 13, it says this, in him, uh-oh, there we go again. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were what? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How many of you know that seal, that seal is, the, is the identification of who you now are? Your new identity. The Holy Spirit has stamped upon you and sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. I am his child. Branded if you want. All right. In him, we're sealed. It's a done deal. This is who we are. The Holy Spirit has given us of a, as a promise that we are His children and He will never leave us or forsake us. Wow. Number nine, as, as those of the new identity in Him, we are His body. Verse 23. He says, he pray, and He's prayed, and and. Let me just jump into verse 20 to give the context. He, after he prayed that we would understand and appropriate the multifaceted power of God, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that's God, and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality. Now, now this, this defines your position, because where are we? We're, in, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places in him. So where is he? He's seated in heavenly places at the right hand, at God's right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and, get, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's a whole lot there. I won't spend much time, but hey, we are his body. We're, there's a fullness of God being made manifest in the world through the church. And we, because of our new identity, we are his body. And if we had time to validate that more, we'd go to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, where it talks about, hey, we're part of his body. The, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of thee, and all those things. We need one another, and we work together in him. We are in Christ, and we are his body. Let the body of Christ say amen. amen. And then chapter 2, we'll slip over to chapter 2, some more insight into who we are in him. We are his workmanship, verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created. How are we created? In Christ Jesus. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, there it is. Hey, here's the revelation. Here's the insight. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. No revelation and implementation. Everyone say insight and then implementation. Hey, I'm created in Christ, in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, get busy, work it out. We'll begin to walk in those good works that he has for you. We are his workmanship. And, oh, and let me just stop and say, you are a fine piece of work, too. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a fine piece of work. Man, he broke the mold when he made you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And then number 11. In him, we are fellow citizens and members of the family of God. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God and have built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Number 11 uh, is fellow citizens and members. Number 12, we are his holy temple. We are the dwelling of God in the Spirit, in Him. And when, see, when God, when God saved you, He had so much more in mind than just some bump on a log who He's taken to heaven. He's got big plans. And through us as the body of Christ, we are His dwelling place, His holy temple. Amen. Now, quickly. So, hey, there's a lot there. I want you to devour it. I want you to go through Ephesians. Uh, and, and primarily, the first three, really the first two, define more of, of who we are. Chapter 3 could probably be a transition uh, into the implementation. But, man, there's a lot there. Paul talks about how God revealed it and how we, 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 we receive this revelation and, and uh, the strength of God's available to us. Uh, and then 4, 5, and 6. Uh, the implementation of the insight and revelation of who we are. Now, I want to talk to you just briefly. I'm going to give you four points about our identity's built-in determination. When you get your when you when you get it, when you get fixed, there there there's a built-in determination that it, that that comes with your newfound position in Christ. And to be determined is to be a, a firmness of purpose. The process of establishing something exactly. You see, God, as, as people who are in Christ, the process has begun, begun in us to establish us in reality and ultimately exactly in our new identity in Christ and become more and more like Him day by day. The process. And, and there, there ought to be a built-in determination for that process to continue. Not a maybe so, maybe not kind of, kind of mindset. And so here, let me give it to you in, in four ways. Our identity determines or establishes our destiny. Our identity determines or firmly establishes our purpose and destiny. Now look at chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. I read it already, but look what he says here. 
He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons uh, uh, by Christ Jesus to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us acceptable, accepted in the beloved. Then He talks about our inheritance and our pre. Verse eleven that we have a pre, predestined us according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. See when you embrace your identity in Him, it it moves you and and you have a determination to fulfill the destiny of God for your life. And so number two, our identity determines our dominion. Our identity determines our dominion. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. I read it earlier. Look what it says. Our new position, where, where Jesus is seated and where we're seated. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. In other words, we have dominion over the powers of darkness. And your identity moves you into your dominion over the powers of darkness. See, some people are not victorious over the devil. You know why? Because they don't know who they are in Christ. The more you establish yourself and and exactly into your new identity in Christ, you begin to experience a new level of dominion. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm looking down on my circumstances. I'm not down in a basement digging holes. I'm not under the circumstances. I have dominion over the powers of darkness, principalities and powers and mights and forces. In fact, if you went to Ephesians 6, he, he says, okay, okay, now stand your ground against these folks. You have authority and dominion. And not only do we have a dominion over the devil, but we have a new dominion over us. And his name is Jesus, and he's the Lord of the church. And that's what it says in verse 22. We are under his feet, and, we get, and, and get, they gave him to be head over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is our Lord. He is our authority. And when you understand who you are in Christ, it further establishes you under the authority and the dominion of the Lord of glory and further establishes you over the principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Lordy, I should have saved that for Sunday morning. You may hear that again. But that's what, hey, we need to be, how many of you know we need to be established in that? Okay? And then number four, our identity determines our decisions that we make in life. That's what Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is about. Hey, now here's who you are in Christ, so start making wise decisions. You know, walk worthy. Don't, don't, don't steal anymore. Don't be angry anymore. Don't walk uh, like you used to walk in the futility of your mind, like the, like the, the, the Gentiles walk. Uh, you know, put on the new man, be renewed in the, put off the old man. In other words, start making decisions based upon your new identity. How many of you know some choices and decisions we make uh, uh, suffer us great consequences? And so the more we understand who we are, the more wise decisions we can begin to make and to say nope to dope and all those things and begin, hey, here's one, husbands, love your wives. Hey, uh, uh, hey, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Start making good choices. Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Hey, walk in the light. Hey, uh, walk circumspectly. Redeem the, make wise decisions. Hey, when you understand who you are in Christ, it'll change your whole decision making process because you have a new destiny you have a new dominion uh, and so therefore new decisions 
This is the way I'm going to live my life based upon who I am in Christ. The decisions I make are not based upon the circumstances of my moment, but are, are based upon the identity of my, who I am in Christ in my eternal perspective. And then number four, I love this one. Our identity determines, establishes something exactly within us. It establishes and determines our dialect. How many of you know when you live in a certain culture, you have a certain dialect? When we first came here, Ryan had a really bad country dialect. And Nathan became his friend. And before long, Nathan became, when you're in Lumberton, you become as the Lumbertonians. And before long, Nathan began to talk like Ryan. And they just talked really funny. Now they've both kind of worked it out. And it's got on me a little bit now. But hey, when you have a new identity and you become a part of a new kingdom, you have a new way of talking. And how many of you know the power of our words is so, so real? Let me just walk this through you. Let me just give you these verses quickly. There they are. Ephesians 4.15. Look what he says. He says, speak the truth in love. A new way of talking. Some of us have not even got there yet. Look at verse 25. He says this. Therefore put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Look in verse 31. He says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Look in chapter 5, verse 12. He says this, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Look in verse 19 of chapter 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, it's a new way of talking. It's a new dialect. When you, when you understand who you are in Christ, it'll change who you, who you are, but it'll change the way you talk. How you speak because your words are powerful. Amen? Whew. And so Paul prayed for us that we'd have insight into our new identity. There we go. Well, tonight, what's the purpose of this book? Work it out, make us strong. Let's be honest tonight. There's Paul. He prays for us. I kind of hit those, and so he prays for us. I love the last one there in verse uh, 8 through 21, really all his prayer, that we'd be strengthened by his might and power in the inner man. You know, you can be strong physically and weak spiritually. You can be weak physically and strong spiritually. And so, so it's time to strengthen. In fact, that's, you remember what we said uh, Sunday, lift up those hands that hang down and make straight paths for your feet. So let's stand together and let's, let's embrace the Word of God tonight in our life and let the Word of God feed us tonight. Thank you for the ministry of your word, Lord. And God, the power of our identity in you is so strong. And Lord, Sunday, as we talk about the exercise of knowing, Lord, let the people on Sunday begin to exercise and work it out, their new identity in you. And Lord, we thank you for it. We pray tonight that we would lead the way, Lord, in this, in this summer emphasis of, of family fitness. 
that our own personal lives would grow strong and our marriages would grow strong and our families would grow strong. Lord, and our businesses and all the things we touch would grow strong. Our finances would grow strong in you. Lord, thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.